today on CityCast Denver. It's been called the most interesting primary in Colorado. It's a bellwether for democratic politics in Denver, attracting hundreds of thousands of dollars in contributions. It's the June 28th primary for the Democratic nomination for House District 6, which stretches from Capitol Hill to Lowry. And it poses the question, how progressive is Denver? People in America overwhelmingly support abortion access, support access to birth control, support funding public education, support health care for all. So the ideas that would be considered too progressive are very much where not just HD6, of course HD6, but where most of us are. My guest today is one of two Democrats running to represent HD6. Elizabeth Epps is an abolitionist, lawyer, and executive director of Colorado Freedom Fund, which bails people out of jail and works to end wealth-based detention. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Elizabeth Epps, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. I feel like I recall, it was probably on Twitter once upon a time, I feel like you've said in some capacity that you would never run for office. And you're running for office. Why? Uh, well, there's two questions there, right? I I don't know that I said I would never run. I remember saying things like, I'm going to tweet this to make sure I don't run. I'm going to say this to be sure I can't run. And even like, this is your biannual check-in of me saying X just to be sure I never run. But I'm also grown and reserve the right to change my mind. I'm running because people ask me to. And, you know, some of them have a lot of explaining to do in terms of putting me up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the simplest reason is I'm running for this seat because community asked me to. So I also know you outside of this work as a lawyer, as uh, someone who's in self-identified abolitionist of the carceral system, someone who's maybe described themselves as an anarchist. And to me, all of those things... Wait, wait, where did you hear that? <laughs> this is this is the latest of... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like... Would you... Okay, how would you describe yourself when we talk about political... How do you frame yourself politically? You know, it's, in it's interesting you asked me how I identify, but it's interesting to me because there are some misnomers that I've been accused of. Like, you know, someone will say it's, it's also very race-based and historically um, a trope that is used to malign black women, like to accuse someone of being a communist. Well, uh, I don't happen to see that independently in the context of history, right? That That's nuanced. Um, yeah. I'm not a communist, and but not for the reasons that the people using it in a negative way want to say, right? There's a part of me that wants to be like, no, the communists get to claim their work. I'm not a communist, right? I'm a Democrat running in a Democratic primary, not an anarchist, not a communist. And it feels a little, um, not, not from you at all, but it feels sometimes silly to have to do that disclaimer. Like what, what, what yeah. sneaky anarchist is running in the Democratic primary to just hang out with all the Democrats and, <laughs> you know. Anyway, but um, I am a Democrat, I am an abolitionist, which is a part of my political lens, but is, is bigger than that. Um, as an abolitionist, I, it's really very simple at its core. I believe that all of us deserve to be healthy, safe, and free. And so my policy work is work to provide people the opportunities and resources that they need to be healthy, safe, and free. And so in the modern context, none of us I can't say none of us, but none of the people I know think it's going to happen overnight. But of course, we should work towards a world without harm. Of course, we should work 
towards a world that doesn't have a justification for putting people in cages. And, you know, as an abolitionist, you asked about my political lens. Like one of the things that guides me is a belief that humans do not belong in cages. And it astounds me that that is such a controversial pr proposition. Just, just as, a, as an intro thought that human beings do not belong in cages. How can that be controversial, right? It shows just how conditioned many of us have become to thinking what is necessary and inevitable. So you were born free. We can choose as a society to give you the things you need to stay free. You've talked about folks from the community, people, potential voters wanting you to run. And I'm also just thinking about this district that you're in, which is, I think it's overwhelmingly white. I just wonder, how are you talking to or what are you telling voters who maybe don't know you or only know your work from, you know, the media in a way that is often framing it as very radical? The most sort of direct answer is that, you know, we'll see on June 28th just how good these conversations have been going. There are folks who are getting active misinformation from um, people who support my opponent and and. You know, some of those things require clarification. But in terms of what we're hearing from folks, you use the word radical, and I'm supposed to like not use that word. Um, I'm not offended by it as a term, but you know, we're in a political campaign. You know, if it is, if it is, let's say progressive, uh, because I have seen media pieces that say, like, you know, is HD6 ready for someone this progressive? I think it's really important to recognize, and, and this is in answering about the conversations with voters, is Right. If it is if it is too progressive to think that your healthcare access should not be dependent upon your employment status, well, I'm I'm progressive. I'm all the way progressive. And if it is progressive, too progressive to think that your your access to housing should be not dependent upon your ability to to do labor, your age, your immigration status, your what body you're in that despite any of those things, you should be able to be housed and count, you know, count me in, sign me up. I'm, I'm that progressive. And what I think is really important to recognize is that this is very much where the electorate is. People in America overwhelmingly support abortion access, support, you know, access to birth control, support funding public education, support health care for all, support the tenets of a Green New Deal. Like the name, the Green New Deal may get polarized, but when you start talking to people about, should we regulate greenhouse gas emissions? Well, yes, we should, right? Should we... Uh, incentivize using electric vehicles? Yes, we should, right? So the ideas that would be considered too progressive are very much where not just HD6, of course, HD6, but where most of us are. So what are the biggest issues that you think House District 6 is facing right now? It's interesting because even in just the course of this campaign, how people on the doors answered this shifts when um, there's a mass shooting every day, but when there's one that people hear about, mm. then the next couple of days, the most common thing we're talking about is gun safety specifically. And in addition to that, certainly the things that people are sharing, I'd say the top three in HD6, what I'm hearing from folks are issues related to affordable housing, um, to public safety, that big category of things of public safety, and then less so, but still very common environmental justice, climate change. Um, I think that the thread through all of them is one of equity. Um, is one of really needing competent, not bought. By that, I mean representatives who aren't just funded by corporate donors. I think that that's the common thread of, of whether voters realize it or, or rather whether they name it or not, right? A desire for leadership with integrity on all of those issues. 
you brought up the gun issue and um again it is something we tend to talk about more when there's a bigger incidence of it even though we know from data that this is something that folks deal with every day that's right what is your position on guns or or what do you think is your role at the level at at a house district level to do as as an elected official a potential elected official yeah i appreciate the question and i you know the 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 politician answer, what I'm supposed to say to you is that I'm Elizabeth Epps and I support common sense, gun reform. And that's what I'm supposed to say. And and of course I do. Um, but it's much deeper than that. You asked about what is my responsibility as a potential legislature? What is the job at the House level? So here's here's where I am with this. And I'm, I'm hedging my words because I'm trying to be delicate, but I'm also tired. I'm tired in this moment and I'm tired of where we are as a society. I was a child who was not well protected by all of the adults in my life. And as an adult, I am disgusted that I'm a part of a generation of adults who are not doing what we can to protect our children. Now, of course, shootings are not, and gun violence is hardly an issue that just affects children, but we do now have the data that it is now the number one killer of children in America. All right, so the rest of the world is like, how? How can that be? You're beating childhood cancer, right? You're beating car accidents mm. as the number one cause of death being gun violence? Right. We know right now the Washington Post um, shared within a, f- a few weeks that since the Columbine shooting, there's been 331,000 children who were in a school during a school shooting. It's a ridiculous number of children. And that while only 16% of American school children are black, that close to 33% of the children who've been in a building when there was a school shooting were black. So as a black mother, as a black person, This is very personal to me. When you ask what we can do at the state legislature, and all these words of me trying to calm down because I'm upset about this, we have a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and in name, we have a Democratic governor. And why you have, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Okay. I was just just silently agreeing with you (laughs) off mic. Why you haven't seen a bill in Colorado to ban assault weapons at the statewide level is because too many, not all, but too many of my future colleagues don't want it. They don't want a ban. And when they say, and they will, my opponent, when others, in, you know, moderates, when they say that they support a ban on assault weapons, they're talking about a federal ban. And they're not clarifying, as I appreciate his candor, Senator Fenberg, the Senate president, who is a senator out of Boulder, Colorado, a place that had a whole mass shooting with an assault weapon very recently. When he says, as he did, you know, on CPR a few weeks ago, that the, the ban on assault weapons is better left for the federal level. It's what it is unconscionable. I don't know that we could pass this bill next year or even the next. But I know that when I'm in the state house, we're going to run it. We're going to run it and we're going to get my colleagues on the record. Yes or no. Do you support banning assault weapons in the state of Colorado? Yes, there's all these arguments. Well, borders are porous and people could get them from Wyoming. So what? If we are elected to the Colorado State House of Representatives, then what the 65 of us are supposed to do is run a bill to ban them in our state and get folks on the record. And then let's see. Let's see how your primaries go. 
And so when you ask me what can be done at the, at the state house level, thing number one is ban assault weapons and stop talking about banning assault weapons at the federal level. Of course we need a federal ban. Of course we recognize what happened from 94 to 2004 when we had a ban and then it expired. Of course. But in Colorado, it is shameful that we would consider waiting for a federal Congress to protect school children in Littleton or in Douglas County or in pick the place in Colorado where it's the guns. That's where I come down on this. I want to talk about a narrative that I find frustrating about Denver. Your district runs through a good section of central Denver, not quite to downtown, but there's this narrative of a crime wave. There's this narrative that, you know, downtown Denver in particular is one legislator called it a lawless hellhole or somebody did. But I wonder, what do you think about that narrative? So I come to to this campaign, to this work, to adulthood as a survivor of very serious crime. Um, unfortunately, it's not in my distant past. It's a current part of my reality as well. Both property co- crime, uh, police violence, intimate partner violence, stranger assault. This is the lens that I bring to this of wanting to be safe. And so when I'm thinking about how I respond to folks who say this, I think that there's some folks who want there to be attention, who think that we who are working for progress don't care about crime. It's no, no, to the contrary. We are surviving it and enduring it. And that's why we care about actually doing the data-driven work to turn it around. I think there's a lot that can be said about statistics, who keeps them, which things they want to present, um, which things we categorize as crimes that we count in these narratives. But even as we are cautious and interrogate data for data's sake, I think that is undeniable that um, myself and my neighbors are experiencing a lot of safety concerns. Um, I had to get cameras on my, my last house because of a a stalker. And only once getting the cameras, I mean, I laugh because it's so ridiculous, but only once getting the cameras did I see like, oh, I was actually experiencing a lot more property crime than I realized, right? So now that I have a camera in my backyard, I see just how often people are out there trying to get in the garage and weekly, um, I have a detached garage, right? So people would be going in there to, to shoot up and use and where I'm thinking, wow, maybe we could have safe use sites then this person wouldn't be trying to get in my garage. I don't have nothing in the garage to take, you know? So when I think about the response, there's a part of me that wonders if folks are so concerned, then why aren't they committing to the data-driven, I keep saying that phrase, but that's what matters. Why aren't they committing to the work to change your trajectories? Funding public education keeps people safe. Paying people a thriving wage so that parents can be home with their children and not working an extra job. Covering childcare. Things that, like, these, are, these are not complicated interventions, It's just that we've decided that some people get them and others don't. But when we invest in those, the associated crime rates come down. And I'm going to say this last thing about this because I'm so – motor vehicle theft and catalytic converters. I've read entire articles, entire articles about the rates of car theft and the rates of people taking catalytic converters that the entire article does not mention the word meth or heroin or fentanyl. As if folks are just out here wanting to collect your catalytic converter. And, you know, poorer folks, working folks are the ones who are most impacted by this, right? We need our, our trucks with our tools to get to work and do our labor. Like, it's not like only rich people are impacted by this. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm like in this parallel universe where like, as you're saying that, that downtown Denver is so lawless. Well, that's a hell of a characterization. But the fact is we are experiencing crime. I'm experiencing it. I'm not safe. I've had to move because of my safety. So I'm as committed, more committed right, to investing in that which keeps us safe. 
And there are people who have a vested interest in us not being safe. And I'm very much running to, to push against that narrative entirely. I'm just thinking about someone who would say, okay, you obviously see the issues when we talk about crime. You're experiencing things personally. You're seeing, you know, if we have these interventions to prevent crime. But how do you tell me as a voter, but you don't believe in, in jail? So what's what does safety look like to you when we talk about public safety? If we're not, if we're abolishing prisons, then what what do we do? You know, it's a fair question, but but it's not that I don't believe in jail. Um, I'm very intentional in saying it. It's not like I've started saying it when I was running for office. I, what I say is we should be working to a world without them. Look, there are whole sets of people, thousands across the country who, yes, I think should be let out tonight. People who are charged with uh, sleeping on park benches, crimes of poverty, trespass, taking care of basic bodily functions in public because they don't have a place to do it. Nope, we don't need any alternative to it. Just let them out. That's what I think. But the idea isn't that on Monday, there's no jail. The idea is that between now and Monday, we're giving the people who are in jail the thing that they need to be healthy, safe, and free. I have one last question. When you canvass, you spend a lot of time in your neighborhoods. What are some of your favorite spots in House District 6? <laughs> the shady ones. It's so hot right now. <laughs> the literal shady the literal ones. Sh yeah, no, the literal <laughs> ones with a lot of tree cover. Um, in insert right lecture about how, uh, you know, wh where we take out trees. <laughs> right. Where we allow places for, for rest. My favorite place in terms of like just actual, it's dangerous to say a favorite, but I'm going to. A favorite place in terms of like just the neighborhood is definitely Garden Court in uh, East Colfax, just because every time I'm there, I'll be standing looking up trying to find uh, a number. And without exception, somebody will call down from the balcony and be like, who are you looking for? <laughs> and they can tell me who the person is, even if they don't know where the number so is. So this is like an apartment complex that you yeah, visit pretty a, often. And there's like an open air court in the middle. And it's it's probably 20 buildings at least. Uh, but I really love going there because there's just always something that happens. There's always someone that's pulling me in to eat or, um, you know, I accidentally walk through a game of something that's happening in the like court and the kids like bring you into it. That's a really fun place to be. Um, East Colfax is just such a treat because um, HD6 is a new district that's redrawn and it's brought together some very different neighborhoods and it just plain feels good to be around black and brown folks. Um, and I love all my neighbors. I love all our community. But the the commonalities of like the way kids play and the way mothers call down from balconies, there's no place that I've been in HD6 that that, that dynamic works quite like it does in East Colfax. Elizabeth Epps, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to add some links about Elizabeth Epps to our show notes, including our episode with her from last summer. And stay tuned tomorrow, where we have an interview scheduled with Epps' opponent, Katie March. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. It's bike to work day today. And here's some good news for cyclists. According to the Denver Post, reported bike thefts are down this year by 27%. There are still bike thefts happening, though, so consider this a reminder to register your bike with DPD. It's no guarantee, but if your bike is stolen, they might get it back for you. Sexy pizza in Cap Hill is soon to be no more. The local pie chain says that after 15 years at 11th and Ogden, their lease will not be renewed. 
Owner Kayvon Kalatbari told Denverite he suspects it's because of some comments he made about the landlord's recent efforts to deter unhoused people from hanging out outside the building. Kalatbari has long been an advocate for the unhoused. He says if there's any landlord interested in leasing to a popular pizza place that has never been laid on rent, hit him up. And lastly, the CDC has finally authorized COVID-19 vaccine shots for kids five and under, which means I can get my baby boy vaccinated and will be doing so ASAP. Yay! That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today I get all nostalgic about the closing of Bonnie Bray Tavern. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya! So you'll pull out some like usable, coherent. Oh, yeah. That's Paul's job.